0: Are you guys, you're all good? Yeah, that was my opening question. I already asked that, used that one. Um, For those of you visiting, um, for those of you in the live stream, my name is Gary. I am one of the elders here at Journey Community Church, and that is my great privilege to be an elder here, to serve in that way. I'm excited to be speaking now that we're we're actually going and we've got some sound going. Um, I love this church. I love that we get the opportunity here every Sunday and throughout the week to partner with what God is doing in this room, but also in our communities. And I can confidently tell you this morning that God is definitely on the move. God is definitely doing something in us and through us. So before we get started, why don't we just open in prayer. Father, we just thank you for all that you are doing in our communities, in our lives this morning, God. And I pray, God, for increase in that this morning. I pray that you would open our hearts this morning to receive what it is you have for us, God. Amen. All right, so it's been a while since I've actually spoke here in Antrim. Um, I think the last time I was down to speak in Antrim, somebody in the team got COVID. and For some reason, I'm not quite sure how this worked out, but John had to to preach here, and I had to go to Downpatrick. I don't know how that worked out, but that was a while ago. Um, Since then, I took a step back um, for a little while, because some of you will know that Becky and I had our second baby not too long ago, little Judah. He's over there in a little yellow jumper. He's really, really cute. Our second baby, he's not named after the preacher, Judah Smith. I feel like I need to clarify that in church circles. When I'm not in church circles now, I seem to have to clarify that he's not called Judith. Because a lot of people when you say Judah, they seem to go, Judith? Is a boy? He's like, no, no. And you can find out pretty quickly when you tell people his name, who reads their Bible and who doesn't, because we do get a lot of where'd you get that name from? I was like, it's in the Bible. It's in the Bible. Come on. But we had Judah and at the start he slept great. He, we could put him down, and he wouldn't wake up. That was, that was incredible. We didn't know the days we were living in. Um, but unfortunately, that didn't last very long. We got a little bit overconfident, um, and he wasn't sleeping great. So while we were navigating that season, I wasn't sleeping very much. I wasn't much use, so I took a little step back just to sort of figure things out. Um, thankfully, we're, we're on the right track, or we were. He, he woke up at 5 o'clock this morning, so I'm tired still. There's, there's no end in sight to it, but we are getting there, so he's sleeping better. I'm sleeping better, Um, so hopefully you'll start to see a bit more of me about church again because I have missed getting to serve and do a lot of the things that I love doing for this church, but we'll see how this morning goes anyway. You might not want me back up up at the front, but we'll see. So I'm going to be starting our new teaching series with our very elegant graphics, Colossians, Jesus over everything. If you've heard me speak before, you'll know that I love a little bit of context when we're looking at scripture. I like to understand, first of all, why it was written and who it was written to. So Colossians, as with a lot of the letters we find in Scripture, was written by Paul the Apostle. And he wrote this letter while in prison in Rome and sent it to the church at Colossae. His main goal with this letter was to encourage the church to remain faithful to the way of Jesus. They were coming under cultural pressures that was tempting them to turn away from the teaching they had already received. In the midst of that confusing teaching, it was distracting them from the truth of the gospel that, He had already taught them so Paul's primary concern was that that church would understand the great mystery of Christ in us the indwelling of his presence in our lives He was reminding them that Jesus was the only way you can keep your human tradition your religious practice We are after relationship So Paul was calling the church to a deeper devotion to Jesus He was calling them to pursue relationship with Jesus over merely obeying certain teachings or certain sets of activities that was demanded by the Jewish law at that time, for example. But even more than that, his teaching was that God not only sets us free from sin, he actually invites us into himself. He invites us into intimacy with himself. And it's in that intimacy that we actually find our freedom, that we find the life that we were made for. The gospel is so much more than dealing with the guilt of our sin. The gospel is an invitation into a whole new life. And Paul begins this letter to the Colossians by expressing his thankfulness for them as a community. And while he's doing that, while he's praying for the church, he includes in chapter one this poem or hymn that is dedicated to declaring that Jesus is the creator and sustainer of all things, that Jesus reigns over everything. Do we believe that this morning? Jesus reigns over everything. It's a declaration that Jesus is the ultimate authority in heaven and earth. Jesus is the only one worth following, the only one worth worshiping. I know Mike is going to unpack unpack that a bit more in this series, so I'll not spend any more time here. But I just want to remind you of that truth this morning as we look at these passages. Jesus is the ultimate authority over everything. It's from this standing point, from this truth that Paul goes on to write in chapter 2. If you have your Bibles there, we're going to be starting at verse 6 this morning. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ." So to start us off, Paul here is saying that because we have received this Jesus, because of the cross, his death and his resurrection, because we have believed the gospel, we've accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we are to walk in him. Not walk with him, like side by side, but to walk in him. And that's an important distinction I want you to get this morning because we are called to go where Jesus goes, not the other way around. It's not like Jesus just tags along with us wherever we decide to go we're flirting with heresy a little bit there i'll leave usually ian is the is the heretic but i'll explain it a bit better jesus isn't just following us around waiting for you to clean waiting to clean up the messes that you make he's right there with you no matter where you go if you're going to be a heresy hunter that's the important sentence jesus is always with you he's right there with you wherever you go but that is because jesus is the creator and sustainer of all things Jesus is working in and through everything, but he's not our little sidekick that follows us around. He calls us to follow him, and he says in John 5, very truly I say to you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing, because whatever the father does, the son also does. And there is divine mystery here that Paul wishes for the church to understand, we are to walk in the fullness of who he is just as Jesus walks in the fullness of the Father. Jesus is all-consuming. And as we look at these passages we want to try and understand practically how is it that we actually walk in Christ? You know in a lot of your bibles it will probably title this section in Colossians Alive in Christ. And what a phrase. That's one nearly all of us have heard before, alive in Christ. It's one of those phrases in the church we love to throw out, especially if you've grown up in church, you'll have heard that a lot. It's one of those ones we say, but we don't ever really think about what it means. You know, I kind of grew up going to church on and off, not really. I was one of the ones that had to put on the nice shirt and the trousers to go, and if it wasn't clean, I had to put my school uniform on, which was mega, mega embarrassing to go to Sunday school. Um, I was one of those ones, so I've heard all the phrases but I never understood what they meant. I went to Sunday school, I heard the phrases, but I never learned what they actually meant. So what does it mean to be alive in Christ? Well, let's simplify it way down to begin with. Think of it this way, what makes you feel most alive? When do you feel like you're most like you're living the life that you were born for? You know, I was thinking about this a few weeks ago and I was thinking about my son Noah. He's down over there a little green jumper. He's tucking into some sweets. Um, I was thinking about my son, Noah. You know, he is the boy that he always has some sort of truck or vehicle or something with him. He's got a fire truck with him today. He loves monster trucks, Land Rovers, tractors, anything with an engine. He is all about it. But Land Rovers hold a very special place in his heart. Land Rovers are his thing. He can spot a Land Rover or a different type of Range Rover or whatever it is from about a mile away when he's in the backseat of the car. He can tell you the model and everything. He loves them that much. You'll see us every Sunday doing laps of Ashton's Land Rover. We're not gonna steal it, Ashton, I promise. He's just showing it to me. But he just, he loves Land Rovers so much. Every morning when he wakes up, he comes into our room and he says, Daddy, I wanna watch Land Rovers driving through muck and puddles and snow. Everything on YouTube, I love it just as much as he does, I'm not going to lie. But Noah lives for Land Rovers. So a month or so, we took him to Glenarm Castle, and they have this Land Rover experience. It's unbelievable. They have these little electric Land Rovers that they let kids drive around a track. They can go up hills over bumps. They can even go through a big puddle. It's so good. They wouldn't let me have one either, which was quite disappointing. I was all excited that I would actually get to do most of the driving, and he would just sit and watch. But he got to do most of it, and we had our first glimpse into what it would be like when he's learning to drive. As he's driving towards every wall he can find, I'm shouting, turn, 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 and they give me this little remote control to stop it. And he's going at one point. I, I'm saying, turn, turn, and I stop it, and he looks me dead in the eyes. He stops. He goes, I'm turning it. <laughs> and I was like, okay, okay. I I realized at that moment that I'd become my parents and that was terrifying. So I was a lot more chill after that about what he was doing in the Land Rover. But anyway, he's driving his little Land Rover and that's him in his little world doing what he was born for. He was living the reality of the thing that consumes the majority of his thoughts, Land Rovers. And afterwards he had the biggest smile I think I've ever seen. And there's a picture of him here. I think this is the face of someone who's living their best life. Look at that guy. He's terribly handsome. Have you ever seen more joy in someone's face? And Why am I telling you that? Well, it's very simple, really. When we are alive in Christ, we are walking in him. We are fulfilling our life's purpose. We are doing that thing that we burn for, that thing that you're really passionate about. It will be written all over you. There will be an overflow. There will be an abundance within you that just springs up. Like he couldn't contain his joy that morning after he got to do that. It was like he was doing the thing he had been watching every day, the thing he had been pretending to play every day. He actually got to live it out. So many of us sit and we read our Bibles every day. We read these books and these letters. We sing the songs. We think about Jesus. We pray to him. We do all of the stuff. But how many of us are actually truly living in the fullness of what God has for us? How many are actually living in that place where Jesus says, I and the Father are one? And as I read these passages from Paul in Colossians 2, as I sit and I pray on this, I'm reminded of that mystery, and I'm reminded that our purpose, our passion, our reason for existence is Jesus. There's a lot of other things going on in life that are important, yes, but our purpose is Jesus. We were created to worship, to be one with him. And when we burn for him, when we're passionate about him, when he consumes our lives, there is an overflow. There is an abundance. John 10, 10 says, The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Our purpose is Jesus and to be one with him. So we talk about being alive in Christ. And we use that phrase, as I said, but we don't even really understand what it means. We don't fully grasp the reality of it because it's been watered down so much. And actually, the common understanding of being alive in Christ to most people simply means to be saved. And when I say saved, I mean that commonly held understanding we have here in Northern Ireland where your name's in the book of life. You're born again. doesn't matter what you do from here on in. Name is in the book. Sure, it'll be grand. Alive in Christ has become so focused on this idea of a salvation moment. But Jesus is so much more than that. Do you know the Bible doesn't even record at which specific point each of the disciples gave their life to the Lord? There is no specific moment that each of them was saved. And as I was preparing for this this morning, God reminded me of the story of the blind beggar in Mark 8. So a group of people brought this man to Jesus who was blind. And it says, he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit in his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. So Jesus spits on his, eye, spits on his eyes and lays hands on him. That's when Jesus has first touched his life. You know, he can see a bit, but his vision's still a little bit blurry. That's like his salvation moment. You know, Jesus has touched his life. It would have been very easy for him at that moment to walk away and say, this is great. You know, things are a little bit better. I can see something now. I Thank you, Jesus. But it says, then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. So Jesus touches him a second time. His sight is fully restored. He sees everything clearly. It's like the more we invite Jesus back to touch our lives, the more we make space for him, the clearer things become, the more we are able to understand. And when Jesus says, I only do what I see the father doing, you know, when we first start walking with Jesus, when we try to see what the father is doing, we make mistakes. It's a little bit blurry because we, we don't see the full picture just then. I remember when I was learning about prophecy, my friend was trying to teach me how to, to do it. We were playing this game where he's like, right, I'm gonna prophesy for you and then you prophesy for me. So he gave me this amazing word, bang on, right on the money. And he says, right, it's your turn. You prophesy, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? And I got into a real panic. And I just went, fish, fish, I see fish. And then he was like, well, what else? I was like, no, that's it. The, word, the word is fish. God says fish. I can assure you that fish was not the word of the Lord in that particular moment. Maybe there was more to that word, but I couldn't see it. My vision was a little bit blurry. I never really used to understand this. I used to think, you know, you give your life to the Lord, it's one-time deal, that's you. We'll just see where he takes us from now on. I'll just along for the ride. But I want you to know this morning that Jesus wants so much more for you than a single moment or a single experience of his goodness. Jesus wants us to see clearly He wants us to go further, to press in deeper. Jesus wants to touch our lives more than in one single moment. And Paul's writing throughout the New Testament is flooded with that reality. It's less about salvation moments and more about a life filled with abundant joy, filled with abundant passion, filled with purpose, filled with his presence. The realization of salvation, the heaviness of grace that God has given us, that's a big deal, don't get me wrong this morning. And I remember when I had that moment that the weight of grace fell on me. I'd just been baptized and I remember sitting on the floor crying. I was so overwhelmed and that was proper ugly crying. It wasn't like nice moment in worship with God, few little tears. It was proper overwhelmed crying. So that moment of realization is important. The weight of grace is important, but what is more important is actually what we do after that moment. What we do with the gift that we have been given. Because if we stay stuck in that moment, If all we ever have in our Christian life is a moment and a focus on the cross, the reality is that all we are focusing on is ourselves. All we are focusing on is everything that he has done for me. And the Bible is very clear that Jesus came to serve. And we are called to follow him. We are called to live our lives in such a way that we are a benefit to others. The point of the cross was not to get you into heaven. The point of the cross was to kill the old man so that a new one could be raised in its place. The point of the cross was so so that we could have a resurrection. And in order for us to be alive in Christ, there has to first be a death of the old self in order for there to be a resurrection into the new life he has for us. And Jesus is the one who makes this possible. Paul goes on to write in Colossians 2, 9 to 15. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, Having forgiven us all our trespasses by cancelling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Okay, so there's three things I want to highlight here. Paul in these passages he kind of throws together multiple different concepts that are dressed great theological study. He says that Jesus is the fullness of God in bodily form. He's talking about circumcision, being buried in baptism, then raised into new life. The forgiveness of our sins, freedom from the demands of the law, and of course, the triumph of Jesus. All of this brought together to make one very key point that in essence sums up the entire gospel and the heart of the Father. God made us alive together with him. Reconciliation. The heart of the Father is to bring us back to him. You know, at the really big milestones of my life, in the build-up to them, I always try and spend some time intentionally seeking God for some advice. It's just, it's a good plan. It's rare that I really know what I'm doing, so it's a good plan to ask God. One of those times was in the lead-up to getting married. I asked God for some advice. I go, you know, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm going to get married. And God said, love your wife as Christ loves the church. Best piece of marriage advice I ever got. Do I always live up to it? Probably not. The intention is always there, though. You can ask my wife how I'm doing at that. But another big moment for me was when Noah was born. You know, I learned very quickly that becoming a father gives you an entirely new perspective on God. But Noah was born and again, I said, hey, God, really, really, really don't know what I'm doing here. Give me some advice. And God was very clear that as a father, I was called to always seek connection. You know, one of society's biggest issues today is a lack of real fathers. There's a whole fatherless generation that is causing carnage in families. But the heart of God for fathers is that we would always seek connection. You know, things will create distance. I'll have to go to work. My son will be feeling tired. I might be feeling stressed. He might be feeling angry. He will specifically do the things that I tell him not to do. But every single day, the heart of the father is to connect, not just when things are going well. And God doesn't change. He is the same in every moment of every day. The heart of the father is to connect. The heart of the father is reconciliation. And Paul takes us on this journey where he explains what it means to be alive in Christ, to be walking in him. As Paul says, Jesus is the fullness of God. Jesus is the fullness of God. Everything that God says he is, Jesus is. And Paul goes on to say, not only that, but you also have been filled in him. So within Jesus rests the fullness of God and the fullness of man completely reconciled. There is no distance. And it gets even better because he says that Jesus is the head and rule of all rule and authority. Jesus is the one in charge. Jesus is the creator and sustainer of all things. Everybody say all things. So we don't need to worry about what other people are trying to tell us. We don't need to worry about what cultural pressures are putting us on, are, we are coming under, what life stresses are pressing in on us, because Jesus is over everything, and Jesus is in everything. Jesus is working everything around us to form us in his image, the good, the bad, the ugly. He is working everything in your life right now. And Romans 8 says, in all these things, we are more, everybody say more, more than conquerors. We don't just get to experience the win. We get to find the joy in the process because by faith, we already know the end result. You know, Paul wrote a lot of these letters from a prison cell. He went through the wars, but you know, he had a confidence and a hope that Jesus is who he says he is. And Jesus said, I came that they may have life, but even more than that, he said that they may have it abundantly. Everybody say abundantly. You're getting tired, I'll stop. We aren't just here to struggle through life's ups and downs in the hope that one day we make it to heaven and things go a lot better from there. Abundant life is for right now. Joy is for right now. Jesus is for right now. So how do we live like that? How do we live a life that is alive in Christ? Well, you're in luck this morning because there's a three-step program I'm gonna share with you. Step one, you'll like this one, circumcision. Circumcision. That's not what you were expecting, is it? (laughs) It's the circumcision of Christ. You can calm down. It's okay that Paul is talking about here. Praise the Lord for a new covenant. But what does this mean? Well, in the Old Testament, God made this covenant with Abraham that he would bless him. And his side of the deal was that he would obey God and follow his ways. And as a sign of that covenant, all the males in Abraham's family were to cut off some flesh I'll spare the finer details. I think people are still recovering from John's series a few weeks ago with all the, the details and the hand gestures and stuff. We'll, we'll, spare, we'll spare the finer details this morning. But they cut off some flesh, which of course would draw some blood, which throughout scripture is how covenants were sealed. So this circumcision was a physical sign that these men belonged to their father, Abraham, that they were the sons of the promise. Fast forward, and we are now called, as Paul says, to putting off the body of the flesh, removing ourselves from the flesh, turning from the desires of our flesh. And what this is talking about here is that we are called to a death to self. Elsewhere in Scripture, this is described as the circumcision of the heart, setting ourselves aside for God, essentially cutting yourself off from your fleshly desires to pursue Jesus and to put your trust in him, having faith in Jesus because he died to himself he gave his life for us he shed his blood for us he was nailed to a cross to die for us in order to seal a new covenant and to enter into that covenant we are called to die to ourselves which is to put off the flesh stop doing things our own way based on what we want and to put our faith in Jesus the picture here is that what circumcision did physically for the sons of Abraham faith in Christ does for us spiritually it marks us as being children of the promise our faith marks us as belonging to him and this death to self we're talking about brings us nicely into step two which is buried in baptism paul says having been buried in baptism if you haven't been baptized i strongly encourage it i love to tell people this i was baptized in the actual jordan river there was doves flying everywhere beams of light we had a guy behind a bush with a megaphone that said this is my son That's a joke, it didn't happen. There was only one dove. There was a dove. Rihanna, you were there. You can corroborate. There was, in fact, a dove present. But it doesn't really matter where you get baptized or if doves appear or not. But I can tell you this. When I got baptized, something changed in me. I know with absolute certainty the moment I went under the water and came back up again, something changed. And I can't really explain that in my own words. All The way, only way I can explain it is that I was dead and then all of a sudden I was alive again. It's like the Bible says it is. It's amazing. Who knew that would be the way it is? But in baptism, we are publicly stepping into and sharing in Christ's very public death on the cross. We are dying to ourselves and saying, from now on, wherever he goes, I go. We are buried with him in baptism, but we are buried with him for one reason, and this is the good part. Step three, to be raised to life. Again, Paul writes, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. So we are sharing in Christ's death through choosing to die to self, through publicly declaring our faith. We also then share in his resurrection. There has to be a death for there to be a resurrection the bible says it is by our faith so it is our faith in him and his power to raise jesus from the dead our faith that jesus is who he says he is our faith is what sets us apart our faith marks us as his our faith turns us from the desires of our flesh our faith allows us to enter into the new life of the resurrection so let me ask you this morning how much faith do we have in a resurrection i'm sure there isn't many here that would deny jesus was crucified and rose again that Jesus died and he was in fact raised to life. But let me ask you another question. How much faith do we have that Jesus could and would resurrect someone today? That he could literally raise someone from the dead? Now we're getting weird. Do we really believe that God is the God of the resurrection? Some of you do, that's good. We know who's saved and name in the book of life and all that stuff. Why am I asking that this morning? Because our faith in Jesus has to be more than waiting for heaven. Our faith in Jesus has to be more than just trying to do the right things. Our faith in Jesus has to be more than a hope that he might do something. Because here's the truth. You can say you don't believe in a resurrection, but God resurrected you. If you live in faith, God has resurrected you. And it's from that point that you have the faith to believe that God can do anything, that God actually could raise someone from the dead right here in this room. It is our faith in Jesus. In that faith in Jesus, we have to have more than a hope that he might do something. We have to have a realization that he is doing something. And that he is doing something in you and through you. Jesus is about more than a single moment of salvation. And there is an invitation for us this morning. There is an invitation into the life that God created us for. Because when we truly believe that God is the God of the resurrection, Jesus stops being a concept or an idea that we have over here. He stops being a value system and a set of things we try to do and he becomes a reality to us in here. He becomes someone that we interact with someone that we engage with, someone we follow to the ends of the earth and even to a cross, even to death, because we know at the other side there is a resurrection. Colossians 2 verse 13 says, you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him. Having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us, With its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities to put them to open shame by triumphing over them. On the cross, Jesus put to death everything that could hold us back from connecting with God, from living the life that God created us for, from living in the resurrection. We were created to be in communion with God. God's desire is that we would be one with him. And he has, as Colossians says, disarmed everything that could ever stand in your way. So what is holding us back this morning? All we have to do is put our faith in Jesus, pursue him, engage with him, and connect with him. I'm going to invite the worship team back up here. Jesus is more than a single moment. He didn't just die so we could get a ticket to heaven. The cross was not about getting, getting us into heaven. The cross was about getting heaven into you. And I don't know where you are on your journey this with Jesus this morning. I don't know what stage of the process you're at. But I do know for sure is that there is more. Wherever you're at in God this morning, there is more. And there is an invitation this morning for you to step into more. So as we close off this morning, I'm gonna ask you to stand with us as we get ready to worship. As we close this morning, I'm going to ask you, what do you need to cut off? What from the old man is still hanging on to you that is preventing you from stepping into the fullness of the resurrection? What do you need to kneel to the cross this morning? We would love to stand with you this morning. There has to be a death for there to be a resurrection. What do you need to lay at Jesus' feet? We're gonna have a ministry team here at the front. We would love to stand and pray with you this morning as you come to the answer to those questions, you deal with that with God. What do you need to lay at the foot of the cross? What do you need to kneel to the cross to step into the life that God has for you? Together, we are pursuing the Father in each of our lives. Together, we are pursuing what God is doing in our community. What do you need to kneel to the cross this morning? Father, I just thank you for the cross and the resurrection, God. I thank you that you are about more than just putting things on, taping over the cracks, God. That you have invited us into abundant life. And we press in this morning, God. We press in for more this morning, God. Increase in each of us this morning, God. Thank you, Father. Amen. Bless you. Good morning, everyone. Listen, I just really sense from the Holy Spirit that what we have heard this morning, we press in. I I don't know if you're feeling a bit of like heaviness or any sort of, this is a word for us that, Jesus is our everything, everything, and whatever it is that is holding you back, throw it off and take hold of him. This is, don't miss the opportunity, don't be distracted, okay? Let's go, and we go together for God, okay? Amen. Thank you, thank you. for